This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, it's all about Turf Moor as the Clarets face Watford and Manchester United at home in the latest attempt to get their season kick-started and survival hopes improved. This is the Known and Never podcast. Listeners and welcome back to the Known and Never podcast. This week is a little bit different. I am, of course, your regular host, Natalie Bromley, but this week I'm not in the hot seat for the analysis show um, because it's a bumper recording of podcasts tonight uh, with midweek games and fixture pileups. We've had to split the team. So in room number one, which is the analysis room at Known and Never Towers, we've got Tom, George, and Adam who are going to be looking back at the uh, fantastic point against United, but the slightly disappointing point against Watford. In the next room across the corridor, in the preview show room, Dave and I will be bringing you all the stats ahead of Liverpool's visit to Turf Moor again at the weekend. Um, So I'm going to leave you to it. Listeners, I have no idea what chaos is about to be thrown on you, but I'm going to hand you over to George, Adam and Tom for this week's Known and Ever podcast. Thanks for that, Natalie, and welcome back, everybody, to the No Name Ever podcast. And we've got a bumper episode tonight. Obviously, the transfer window's been and gone. And not only that, we've got games to look back on against Watford and, most recently, Manchester United. But first, let's talk about the transfer window. Obviously, probably the last time you heard my voice was absolutely chaotic a few weeks ago with Rich, uh, the night that Wood left. So... Have things calmed down since then, Adam? What What are your thoughts on the transfer window as a whole? And are we a bit calmer than we were when uh, Chris Wood had just departed the club? Uh, I, I wouldn't say that it is. I am calmer because um, at that point there was still quite a bit of time for us to um, for us to do something about it. Uh, and ultimately, um, at the start of the window, if you just said we've lost one and brought one in and actually ended up with money in the bank, um, then I don't... Well, I think I'd have been shaking my head in disbelief. Um, <clears throat> start with the inbound, obviously. Weghorst looks like a very astute signing. Um, very small sample size, but you look at his goal record in Germany um, and his um, performance against Manchester United in particular, which I'm sure we'll come on to, 
Um, it looks like he really can add something to the team. But um, we really, we're desperate. I think everyone, we've said before, a lot of us um, and the fan base, we needed something else in uh, central midfield and, uh, and out wide out of this transfer window uh, and maybe even a, an additional forward. So really disappointing. I'm sure all the intentions were there, um, but really, really not not very satisfactory at the end of the day. And I think I, I heard Tom say on uh, a previous podcast that he were confident that we'd have some backups if the real, real star players that we wanted weren't there for the taking. And obviously that didn't come to fruition. As soon as the Orsic deal fell through, Ramsey did get an offer that interested him more than um, more than we did. It were really deathly quiet and just nothing to get excited about on uh, on transfer deadline day. So yeah, we we are where we are. Um, we've we've got to get on with it now. But yeah, not not the best. Yeah, I'd, I'd certainly agree. Transfer deadline day was a bit of a damp squib in the end, uh, which isn't particularly unusual for us. Uh, but I think we all expected a little bit more. But Tom. The Oracle, some may say, Whitaker. Um, Adam Cordier out there really said, you know, that you'd gone on record as stating we'd have backups in place. Well, what happened there? Because uh, we ended the window with one one signing. So was it a case of not having anyone as a backup, or did we just we, did we just drop all our eggs? Uh, I don't think if you've seen my Twitter mentions in the last week, nobody's calling me the Oracle at the minute. Let me tell you. Yeah, I think that it did seem. And I do wonder how much of it is like smoke and mirrors and good PR really from the from the Americans. Because yeah, if you look at the out the basically the outcome of the the January window, it doesn't look any different to a Mike Garlic window. You know, sold sold a, a decent player and bought a replacement in for less money and made a profit. Um, you know, if that had happened without us being linked to every name under the sun in you know over the months, then I wonder what the uh, I wonder what the consensus would have been. I suspect uh, Garlic would have got slated a lot more than Pace did. Um, I think I do have some sympathy with the Orsic deal. Well, I have a lot of sympathy, to be fair, because it really looked like that was tied up. Everything was agreed. He's going over there at the eleventh hour, and uh, and obviously it was a, a bit of a freak occurrence that that never that never materialised. So that, that doesn't give you a lot of time to, um, to to go in and get a replacement. I think there's a lot of you know a lot of people say you know why you've got thirty days, why don't you get it done sooner? Why don't move on to the target sooner? And it, it's just the way the window is, especially for clubs like ours. You know, a lot of it does go down to the deadline. You know, you're lowball because you want to try and put pressure on the clubs. You know, teams that need to sell, you want to try and see if you can save yourself a few million quid. You know, there's other teams who, you know, perhaps to wait until the last day. You know, for an example, might be Ross Barkley at Chelsea. Um, obviously, we've been rumoured with him in the past. Maybe January the 1st, Chelsea thinking, well, what if two or three players get injured? Then we can't let him go. Let's wait until January the 31st, make sure the squad's in good shape. And then we'll think about releasing it. So it's that kind of thing. So, and and it's not a good window to do business in, particularly when you don't have a lot of money to spend like us. So, I could understand. I could understand why we had the failings. Um, but at the end of the day, the outcome is what it is. And and we know that we needed a wing, but we needed a midfielder. We haven't got them. And that's, you know, it's it's a failure of a, of a window. And if we had to probably overpay by. Five ten million to make one or two of those deals happen, then I really think that's that we should have bitten the bullet and done that, especially with the wood money coming in. So, um, yeah, I have some sympathy, and I, I, you know, I know it's not as easy as oh, also just fell through on the thirtieth. Let's have someone in by the thirty-first, but at the same time, he isn't good enough to come out with just a light for light swap. Is the only chance of business? Certainly, Adam. Tom said there, you know, 
feels a bit sorry for them in the way in that the Orsic deal fell through. And I think I'd agree. And to be honest, I'm going to go back on what I've said previously. I, I said previously that if we'd have got Orsic and uh, Veghorst, I'd have been, you know, reasonably uh, content with that as a transfer window. But really now I'm just looking at it and I think, no, because a winger wasn't the absolute priority. I I think centre mid was the priority. So, uh, Adam, where would you say we we failed most in the window? Was it in not getting another striker to help Veghorst? Was it not getting more creativity on the wing or was it somewhere else in the squad? What really stands out to you as the big the big miss that might hamper us going towards the end of the season? Yeah, it's that centre midfielder. Um, like you said, Joe, I think you summed it up quite well there. Um, we've we've got four in there that are all very the same. We, cha- we have changed it up quite a lot, which isn't very Burnley-like over over the course of a season, over the same positions, which I think says everything you need to know about the situation. Um, but as Tom touched on as well, trying to convince someone who's going to come in who is that strong, powerful, dominant force like um, Basum is one of the favourites that we mentioned on this podcast and here as a comparable uh, team and player that we'd need. But someone to come in there and give us something different to try and persuade that player to come in when we're sat 20th in the Premier League with one win all season um, and not the most fashionable team in the most fashionable location was always going to be difficult. Um, and there wasn't really, other than Fafana, which just seemed completely out there right at the start of the window, there wasn't any names really linked that I thought um, we were either going to in serious contention for or, or it seemed like we were going to be signing. So, I didn't really get my hopes up for that position, but yeah, that is why where we do do and did really need to strengthen. Uh, Orsic would have been a real bonus because you, you look at the team now with JBG out and we really are limited options and hopefully uh, Jay coming in um, and playing a bit of a different different role with Regos could could be the solution, but Orsic would have been um, would have been a real good addition and I completely share what you and Tom said. Um, feel a bit sorry for him on that one because it did look like they were they were going to get it over the line. So, yeah, we are where we are. Yeah, it's unfortunate. We've come out the window with just the the, the one signing. Tom, you mentioned earlier that if if this had been a garlic window, I think Pace would have been slated a lot more. But do you not think Pace deserves uh, some slack maybe in that? Um, obviously in the summer we've signed Corner, who we wouldn't have got under Garlic uh, we've gone for Veghorst and Orsic you know these talents from, from Europe um, and talents that we we realistically weren't allowed to go looking for before because as Dash has you know referred to in his press conferences recently you know the previous board wouldn't let him sign players from abroad for fear of them, them failing so do you think he deserves a bit more slack or do you think realistically at the end of the day you've got to judge him on the, the men who have come through the door I think it's fairly obvious that he's a lot more ambitious than Garlic. He's a bit more forward-thinking, wide-ranging, like you're saying, in the scouting since, since he took over. Um, perhaps you could maybe argue he's a little bit more willing to spend the money than Garlic. Although, having said that, you know, he's not... Uh, uh, I think Beghorst and um, Corner both cost less than we pay for, like, Ward or Gibson. So, um, perhaps there's a bit of a, a limit to that, although we're always going to be limited financially anyway, especially because he doesn't really have any money. Um, yeah, I mean it's I get, it's unfortunate, I guess, in in a sense, because so much needed doing to the squad in the last sort of two three windows, and it, it would would have been difficult to do all that with our budget over you know two three windows. But at the same time, you know, 
last January we didn't get anybody in. We're lucky that we stayed up regardless. Uh, in the summer, we've made some good signings. Obviously, Corne is a massive improvement on what we had. I think Roberts and Collins are ones that are going to prove to be good signings for us. That you know, they're but they're kind of investments for the future, and you know, neither of them's really made a massive impact on the first team yet. They're certainly not automatic starters. Um, so you know, from by that, then you know, probably not enough work has been done on that first eleven. And obviously, what we know we're really crying out for, as we've, as we've said all season, and, and Adams put it very well as well as a midfielder. And we didn't get that over the line in in the summer, and that's a lot of that. You know that is the big reason why we are where we are. And and like I say, I think for me, we should have been we should have been holding our hands up and, and pushing the boat out a little bit more than we usually would have done. You know, spending that extra five ten million, like I say, to get someone decent in because it could be the difference at the end of the day. And um, as much as I think, you know, if if we keep this transfer strategy, if, if by some miracle we stay up this season and we keep the same sort of transfer strategy for two, three years, I think it will pay off more than what we were doing previously. I mean, we weren't doing anything previously, so of course it's going to be an improvement. But uh, yeah, I think there has to be an element of judging by what's actually been brought in. And and since you took over, um, the only first team starters, Akone, um Roberts arguably is just coming into the team now, but he's, he's missed the first half of the season pretty much. And then Vegas, and the only reason that we've brought a first team starter in up front is because we've sold one. So, yeah, from, from that sense, I think there's there's a willingness to do more. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, whether he's you know perhaps not got to grips with the transfer market yet, etc. You know, the end result isn't good enough, and and it, and that has to be ultimately. You know what, what we judge him on because it, it's about the here and now. You know we're trying to stay in the league and we're bottom. So while I, while I have sympathy for him and uh, and while you know I do think that if we by some miracle we do stay up this season, that it might prove a good strategy in the long run. It doesn't help us now, do you know what I mean? And if we do get relegated, then things are going to have to shift quite a lot, I imagine. Mm. I'm interested, Adam. I, I, I'm interested in how how much you think. Newcastle's um, obviously takeover and comp, uh, subsequently their signings, how much that's having an impact on how we're judging a transfer window. Do you think if, say, the Saudis didn't dabble the hands, uh, well, in unwanted places yet again in Newcastle United, if they didn't dabble the hands in there and it was just the previous owners, you know, Ashley, and just a mediocre window for Newcastle, would our window look, look so bad? Uh, you know, it, it, in comparison to theirs, is that maybe why we're getting a bit worried because they've signed, I'm just looking at the list now, Dan Byrne, you know, really good, well, a decent centre-back to show them up. Matt Target, again, another good defender. Same with Trippier. Chris Wood, we all know what he can do if he plays well. And I think the standout for me is that, uh, obviously, this Brazilian lad, this Bruno, for, what, 35 million? I mean, gosh, it's making my eyes water money like that. So, you know, I, I do, do you think, Adam, that we're worrying because realistically because of Newcastle signings in particular? I think we needed to do something anyway um, because we were, uh, I think we've said previously, we were three from four, um, one bad side, we're going to we're gonna go down. Um, hopefully a couple can get dragged into it. Everton, Paul, Brentford have kind of looked like they could slip into it every now and again and then come up with a, a win or two. Um, but yeah, the Newcastle takeover made it... Um, made it imperative that we did do something to improve um improve our first 11 um to give us uh to give us the best chance that we that we could have and yeah you d- they've already shown 
Uh, like since they've since they brought Wood in, they've they've got uh, a couple of wins. They've added more um, more since then. You'd back them to carry on um, and pick up probably enough wins to to carry them up to forty points even. So we need to take take care of our own business. But yeah, it definitely hampers our chances of what they've done. But and we would be, I suppose, we would be looking in the same sort of transfer um, targets as them, but. They've probably because of the money gone a bit bit more ambitious. There's no way we're signing Brazilian international midfielder and Kieran Trippier, no matter what what the situation. Um, so yeah, it's just it, it's a bad bad situation at a bad time for us, I think, and that just made it even worse. Interesting. And just before we move on to, to the games that we've played since, uh, obviously in the last few days we've seen Stephen Defoe. Uh, back at back at Gorthorpe, pinning around. I, I've walked past him outside the Bob Lord stand on Tuesday night. I'm going to throw this up to the floor. Would either of you uh, be open to a Stephen Defoe come back out of retirement? Or what are we saying? Is it just a coaching position? Tony Grant doing these days. Nah, like on a serious note, it's the same. You know when I hear people say, I'll get Jack Wilshire in on a free for the end of the season. Absolutely pointless because, because it'll take two months to get fit. He'll play a couple of games and he'll get injured and, and you know, as much as I liked before and I'd love to see him back for a couple of games, I think a couple of games would most we get out of him. So a romantic notion, but uh, not one that's grounded in reality, unfortunately. And on that bombshell, <laughs> we'll move on to we'll move on to the games. And Adam, you were mentioning before how uh, Newcastle are picking up wins. We've seen Norwich picking up wins recently. And another team who desperately needed to pick up a win was probably uh, us. Now on Saturday night, we all went into the Watford game. I'd say pretty positive, and you know there was a really good atmosphere around Turf before the game with obviously Walt Walt Veghorst, if I'm trying to pronounce it right, unlike the chant Woot, he probably has no idea what I'm on about. Is Walt the Veghorst? So uh, just keep that in mind for next time on Turf. So there was a real buzz around the place, and we went to Watford game, and it just didn't go as planned. Adam, uh, what were your immediate thoughts after the Watford game? Was it one of disappointment or? of maybe just acceptance of a tough game in tough conditions. Yeah, disappointment and just felt a bit flat, um, to be honest, because you're just waiting for something to happen and that big performance just to kickstart any sort of recovery. And we've always been so good in previous seasons of winning those tight games, uh, 1-0 against other teams that you'd expect to be in and around us. And we never really looked like doing it. Obviously, the conditions were absolutely terrible. And uh, can I just say, obviously, the the like all the stuff that um, that Pace has done and and the board have done to get um, get the stadium full for that Watford game with the ten pound initiative, um, celebrate Ben Mee's ten years, um, and obviously giving giving some uh, some tickets away to the in community, um, Burnley in the community. I thought that was brilliant. It was great to see the turf full. Um, it was just a real shame that half the stadium got absolutely battered by the conditions and you could just tell how difficult it was for, for all the players just from the off. I thought we started pretty well, to be honest, first first 15, 20 minutes. Um, didn't really give Watford a sniff uh, without really threatening too much um, ourselves, but there were a couple of nice little interplays between Weghorst and Cornell. A flick on Weghorst to Corne and, um, and Foster were forced into a decent enough save. Um but I think Taylor, Taylor were a big miss um, as well in the game. Um, McNeil, you, I don't know whether it's just McNeil in isolation, but what Taylor brings for him with the overlap and the energy he gives down the left-hand side, 
Peters didn't seem to be getting forward that much in during the game. And until McNeil moved to the right, I thought he were really, really poor. Didn't look like he had any confidence to beat a man. Um, and and the, you could feel the crowd getting on on his back. And obviously, with everything he's done, he's still a young lad. Um, how that affects his confidence, but yeah, he's um, I, yeah, really disappointed with uh, with his performance in particular. But again, really difficult conditions for for all of them out there. Interesting that you picked up on McNeil there, Adam. Uh, Tom, after the game, Dice said, well, Dice was asked about McNeil drifting inside rather than hug, hugging the wing as he used to do. And Dice really said, you know, this this isn't what this isn't my doing. This is McNeil just trying to get himself into the game, uh, you know, trying to get himself on the ball. Do, do you support that from McNeil trying to get himself involved? Uh, obviously, the midfield, we know, is pretty weak. Or would you wish he just stuck out on that wing and uh, tried to get down the byline a bit more? Or, or do you think maybe it's just a loss of Taylor that's affected him? Yeah, I think Taylor is the big one because uh, Peter's just is, is not very good going forward. I think we've seen in the last two games. Uh, you know, he's a grafter, he defends well. I thought in the Arsenal game especially, he defended really well his flank. But um, he hasn't got any quality on the ball. He, he, he can't pass it very well. His shooting is absolutely awful. Why he thinks he, every time it drops him on the edge of the box, he should be hitting it? Oh, he's winding up something chronic, especially in that Watford game, because he's got Corny outside him in space and he's like hitting it in, out for a throw in. And it's like, oh my God. So when he, he's very isolated on that wing with Peters behind him, like I say, Taylor's a miss and I think they link up well. Um, I think we've always had a tendency for the wingers to kind of drift inside. You know, our field is the classic example, you know, he used to play wide on the right hand side, but he never used to like bomb down the touchline and, and whip the ball in. He'd always come inside and, uh, you know, try and get the end of the so, um, I think I think there is an element of that. Um, obviously, we know that McNeil, when he was coming up through the youth ranks, etc., as well, he was he primarily played through the middle. Um, I'd imagine that um, you know if if he gets a move in the next couple of years, then he won't go to a team that plays with kind of touchline hugging wingers. There's not many in the league that do that now. A lot of uh, a lot of wingers do cut inside, you know, as part of a three. So um, that's probably the inclination as well. Um, you know, he's not had a good season. I can understand why people get on his back a bit because it's frustration, I think, more than anything. Um, you know what he can do and, he, and we know he's done it this season. He's got that kind of language style as well where, you know, he looks like he's, he's, he's head dropping and that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. He's sort of running at a walking pace almost. He's only got one foot and some, some of the times he'll get it on his left foot and he'll just have 15 touches with his left foot to, to turn two yards. It's like, come on, man, use your right foot. But then at the same time, sometimes you see him, you know, you will see him dance out of two or three challenges and it's the most exciting thing you've seen in the old game. So you don't, you want to be careful not to just get on his back too much and bully it out of him. And you have to remember as well, um, you know, he's a winger, he's not in the team to be tackling and grafting. He's, he's meant to be our best, you know, sort of, well, obviously since Corner, he's not our best creative outlet, but he's meant to be one of them. So uh, players like that, I don't, I don't want to get on the backs too much when, you know, the, the defending, the tackling, etc., isn't quite what it could be because that's not what he's in the team for. But having said that, you know, no goals and no assists this season. He's not doing what he's in the team for. So, yeah, I understand the frustrations for sure. Um, maybe, you know, once good Monson's fit or once Corney gets a bit of a run now that it looks like uh, we might have Begos and, and Rodriguez partnership for the next couple of games, maybe that'll give him a bit more impetus to stick to the wing when he knows he's got more support on the other flank with Corney. So, uh, time will tell, time will tell, but uh, yeah, there's, there's there's quite a lot of problems with McNeil's game this season, and I think drifting inside is not the not the biggest one of them by a long shot. 
No, obviously. And uh, I think us worrying about him tracking back, that's often a big gripe of the crowd. But I think at the moment, our issues obviously going forward. Watford at the weekend, Adam, was uh, was their first clean sheet in 31 Premier League matches. I mean, that that's the most Burnley thing ever, isn't it, really? Teams turn up to turf and, uh, yeah, things, things turn around at the moment. That seems to be what's happening. Uh, we really did lack any any sense of just attacking threat on Saturday, didn't we? Yeah, I think, obviously, the timing of it isn't the best either. We're Hodgson coming in, having a couple of, well, a week and a, and a bit with the team. Um, chance for him to have a bit of a reset. Well, obviously, they like to do three or four times a season. But he's a, obviously more pragmatic coach. Uh, he'll gone in and, and really worked on, on the defensive shape. And... Um, yeah, you could you could see they looked more. I watched the Norwich game and they were an absolute mess in that game. They were in it for the half, but as soon as the first goal uh, went in, they completely fell to pieces. And maybe that that might have been the case again because um, we never saw that first goal, did we? But they looked pretty solid. Um, and and yeah, never never really threatened. Thought um, interesting one with the uh, everyone getting excited about the the Connor Roberts uh, throw-ins coming into the side. Um, but his, his energy were decent, but I didn't think he were much much better than um, than Lawton, if if any better than Lawton on that first game. And those throw-ins, Jesus! Uh, I don't think we helped ourselves at the Bob Lord side. We've got a bit of a ditch, haven't we? Like, which has kind of got to run up a hill before he before he even launched it onto pitch. But um, hopefully, if we're going to uh, employ that tactic again, we need to have worked on something on the training ground because it were you just knew every time it were. Um, we're just useless. But yeah, um, yeah, they turned up. They they got they probably got what they wanted. They they wanted to. They didn't show them that much ambition. And still, like Lennon had to clear one off the line. Uh, Pope made a decent save at the end from uh, from cleverly, and like King had a header as well. So if if anything, we really needed the win. We started well. We looked decent when Jay came on and linked up, and Corner went to the left, McNeil to the right, uh, but. <laughs> Just if we'd have lost that game, it'd have been obviously even even more curtains. So um, not the not the absolute end of the world, but it's it's not looking not looking great after that. Or it wasn't looking great after that one. I mean, we'll come on to Tuesday where uh, I think we're all feeling a bit more positive after that, especially you, George. But um, yeah, I wasn't going to wait to see about that. Yeah, <laughs> it was certainly it was certainly a pragmatic performance, I'd say, by Watford. Um, Tom, do you are you worried? I mean, I know you're worried anyway. You, you know, you have us to, 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 to put it nicely. You have us going down, but are, were you and are you worried with Watford bringing in such an experienced manager in Roy Hodgson? Because personally, I just can't I can't picture a side that gets relegated with Hodgson in charge. It just doesn't doesn't go together for me. But uh, how are you feeling about at that appointment? Does it does it worry you? Yeah, actually, because they were. Rank bad, weren't they, under Ranieri? I think they've done two massive wins, uh, Everton and Man United, and I, I think they lost every other game, like you, like you were saying, didn't keep any clean sheets. Um, and, you know, I think if Ranieri's Watford had come to the turf uh, and sat in and played for a nil-nil like they did, they would have struggled. But um, you saw immediately the organisation was better. They're more likely to grind out results under Hodgson. Um, the only thing that that I could say maybe is they've still got a lot to do. Um, you saw when he went to Palace, obviously he turned that around really well, but he 
he went in a lot earlier in the season and I think it did take them a while to get going under him. Probably not as many individual talents in that Watford team either. But yeah, they're not going to be worse by replacing Ranieri with Hodgson. So that has to be a worry. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of talk about, oh, Dennis is missing that one, Sars missing that one. And we've got Corne back, brilliant. But the most decisive factor in the game ended up being the fact that Ranieri had gone and Hodgson was in. So came at a bad time for us. And I think Watford will be a lot harder to beat, albeit they might be similar to us. They can be hard to beat, but they don't win too many games, are No, I'm talking about not winning too many games. I suppose that's us, really, <laughs> during this season. And we certainly did lack that that attacking bite on Saturday. And I think maybe uh, some of that was down to Corner. Um, not, not not to blame Corner, but he just he, he clearly isn't quite yet up to speed. I know Dash has basically said that he's had five weeks holiday almost in Cameroon by the sounds of it. Uh, Dice has seen his training figures uh, whilst he's been out there and it sounds like they definitely weren't worked uh, as hard as they should be for a Premier League footballer. So I think we're definitely waiting for Corny to, to really get up to speed. And in the meantime, that allowed Jay to come on against Watford. But Adam, at the start of the uh, well, uh, 7pm on Tuesday night, what were your thoughts when you saw the team with Rodriguez passing partnering Vego stuck top and Corne uh, shunted out onto the wing. Were you a fan of that before the game or were you maybe think, thinking, ah, oh, you know, it's a shame to see Corne push back uh, towards towards midfield? I think I think it's where we probably need him at the moment. Um, and I might not have said that until I thought Jay did make a difference when he came on on, um, on Saturday. Um, he came on for Lennon, didn't he, uh, for the last 20 minutes or so. Like linked up a lot better, showed uh, a bit of energy, and Corner is played as as a winger or a wing back all all of his career. So uh, I don't see how it would be an issue in playing out there. Obviously, he's had a great impact um, playing in like the number ten and up, up front for us. But um, a lot of his goals were um, absolute worldies, and you can't you can't expect that to carry on. Um, like for the duration of the season, some at some point it's going to even itself out. Is definitely is a threat on the wing. Um, interest to see how he links up with Taylor when he does come back in. But I, I thought as the in the as the one off game when I saw the line of power, I was very happy with it. Um, start as pretty much as we finished at, at the weekend. I think obviously we mixed up in midfield with Brownhill coming in for Stevens. Um, but yeah, I were I were happy with the lineup. And Tommy, we're a real shame, weren't it, on uh, on Tuesday to see Stevens uh, out of the team? Uh, you know, that's that's a real big a big blow. Did you not think before before kickoff? Yeah, my heart sank when I looked at the team sheet at seven o'clock and saw <laughs> Stevens' metronomic passing wouldn't be a feature of the evening. Um, yeah, obviously with the personnel that we've got in the midfield, the you know uh, for me Westwood is our best midfielder because I think he's got a bit a bit of what you need. He's got a bit of quality and he's also got legs. And then if you look at the other three midfielders we've got, Brownhill for me runs about, works very hard. He's got legs, but he hasn't got, he's not got any quality to play in the Premier League. He's always passing on Tuesday night, he's constantly giving it away and he's shooting. He's absolutely woeful. It's worse than Peters. Um, uh, Cork, been a really good servant for us. I think he's got quality. He, he just a sensible things, you know, gets it, gives it, tidy player, but Think his legs are gone now, um, and I think that's I think Dyche has realised that as well, which is why he was behind Stevens in, in the packing order. Stevens, I mean, for me, he's not got either, he's not got ability, or and he's not got legs, so God knows what he was doing in the team. He's got his bloody awful, but 
thankfully <laughs> the mistake wasn't repeated. Um, I do feel for him because he, you know, he's he's had two years where he's he's barely played really, and we, you know, we talk about Corney having a month off and and needing a few games to get back to full fitness. I mean, Stevens would have to have a, a proper run to to be fit, but then at the same time, you're not going to indulge Stevens like you indulge Corney because the ability is not there from from what we've seen. So, uh, yeah, I think. I was a bit surprised actually that Corne did play wide against Man United because for me, um, you want Lennon in against United because he's more disciplined defensively. And I think it's the same reason Good Munson plays a lot because he will drop back um, for a winger, whereas Corne and McNeil, neither of them really give you that. Um, we could have done with two wingers with a bit more of the second intent against Watford. Um, maybe put Corne wide for that one and play two strikers. Um, because obviously uh, we didn't have much thrust going forward. Lennon, I didn't think struggled to get into the game against Watford um, and you saw first half against United Luke Shaw was just I mean an arse that size and you can't get near him uh, he was just breezing past McNeil every time so um, I was a little bit surprised with that actually I don't know if that's the best game to play corner wide I think maybe you want someone with a bit more defensive discipline but it worked out in the end and let's be fair as well we're gonna have to throw caution to the wind a bit more in the second half of the season because we need to, we need wins, you know, a good point, but a point's not enough really in any game at the minute. We need to put two, three wins together very, very quickly. So uh, maybe it makes sense to have a couple of players wide, Corne and McNeil, that have got a bit less defensive discipline, but a little bit more quality going forward. So, uh, and obviously it seemed like Red Austin and Rodriguez in that second half started to link up quite well. So maybe that's what we'll see again. And, and maybe against uh, a team that's perhaps slightly easier to beat than Liverpool or Man United, we, we might see a bit more uh, come of it in terms of goals or even I mean, against Watford, just creating your chance would have been nice. So let's hope we see an improvement on that. You, may, you mentioned that on the, the first half uh, performance against United and, well, the, 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 the attacking intent from United. I remember before the game, we were strolling down to the ground uh, well quite quickly from vintage clarets we'd left ourselves 10 minutes to get to the ground wasn't my choice I i'm usually there well early getting get, getting into my seat ready and prepared but we set off with 10 minutes to go and i'm strutting down uh Brunshaw road and i'm saying that Jaden sancho rubbish absolute tosh he's done nothing since he came in from dortmund and i was really slating him thinking you know, it's, I was I was absolutely beaming that he was starting the game. He was rubbish against us at uh, Old Trafford, and I thought, brilliant. That's, that's one less player that we, that we have to worry about. But Adam, that first half, Sancho and Luke Shaw runners ragged, and we were very very lucky to go in at uh, at one nil, weren't we? Really? Yeah, we just didn't. We couldn't deal with it. Yeah, down that side, they always looked a threat. I think Sancho, the frustrating thing. Uh, if I if looking at it from a Man United point of view, there's all the fancy touches, all the footwork, all the razzmatazz, but like I think he hit two or three shots like aimlessly wide and end product isn't quite there for him yet. He's obviously got it, you can see from his numbers in the Bundesliga. Um and and yeah, all the talent he's he's got, it's all there. You're just waiting for that real end product and goals and assists, and they haven't they haven't really got that out of him yet. Um I think I saw um, stats today that uh, who were someone who has only played two or three games has got more goals and assists um, than he has. Uh, oh, it'll come back to me anyway. But um, yeah, they were a massive threat down that side. I thought Bruno and Pogba just sat in behind our midfield and we just couldn't deal with it at all. 
Uh, it, it were like quite a few of the other games that we've played against the big sides, and especially United at Turf over the last few years, where we just haven't laid a glove on them. Um, and yeah, we're really, really lucky to go in only 1-0 down. One thing that did encourage me, and it didn't give me much hope, to be honest, um, I'm fed up of Pogba being absolutely awful anytime I watch him uh, for United and then just turning up and running the game against us and we're not even trying to get, get to grips with him. I thought Brownhill and West would really, even though he was still brilliant in the first half, scored the goal, did have a big influence on the game. They really did, and a few others as well, really did get stuck into him and didn't give him an easy ride at all. Like you were, you were complaining a lot, which you want to see as an opposition uh, fan. Um, but at least we didn't give him an easy, easy game that first half. And then if you can turn the game, um, like we'd managed to in the second half, he went missing. If if times get tough and you can't you can't handle it. But yeah, I thought the two disallowed goals could have, especially the the foul, could have easily not been picked up um, by either on on the field or or VAR. Really happy that they did. It's nice that we've got something go our way from um, from slight marginal calls. But um, I still didn't feel we had a chance at 1-0 just because of the pattern of play. So, um, yeah, I'm sure we'll come on to the second half and I'll give Tom his, his say on the first half. What we do. Yeah, and you're talking about t- times getting tough there and not being able to deal with it. Well, in the past, that's been Mr Mike Dean. Uh, so, moving on to these... Uh, these disallowed goals. Uh, we'll talk about, obviously, Pogba. We've, we've just discussed him then. We'll come on to his goal in a minute. But, Tom, before that, can you just tell us what happened with these disallowed goals and where do you stand on them? Yeah, so the first one, um, I don't think anyone in the ground knew why it had been disallowed. It's VAR, it's worse, the way they do it, you know. They put on the screen, <coughs> check in. It said checking foul. Then it said recalibrating lines or something like that. I didn't, you know, I've never seen that before. I don't know what all that was about. Redrawing lines or something. Uh, I was assuming they were redrawing them just to make sure Man United scored. But uh, then it came up and said offside. It was like, all right, okay. Two minutes later, it's finally disallowed. And then they show you what it's disallowed for. So Maguire's in an offside position. He blocks Rodriguez's run. Um, knowing the way Maguire played is probably inadvertently in the way. But by the letter of the law, it was offside. I, don't, I wouldn't have been particularly bothered if that had been given, to be honest. It's one of them where, um, you know, the, it seems sometimes like they're just desperately looking for a reason to disallow goals, and it's not a good experience in the stadium, but worked out for us. Uh, you could see why it was given as well, at least. Um, the second one, so, yeah, it's interesting. So I've seen a lot of people say, you know, there's not a lot in the foul. It's obviously the cross comes over. If you've not seen it, uh, again, I didn't know what this was disallowed for at the time, but the linesman was pretty quick putting his flag up. It didn't need VAR or anything. Uh, Pogba's got hands. He catched Peter in the, Peter's in the face. Peter goes down and then the ball comes back in and Ryanel tucks it away with a plomb for some bizarre reason. Um, now, so the thing is for me, uh, people are saying, oh, it's soft, you know, it's not a foul. But if you go back and look at what the, the free kick that the first disallowed goal was given for, Pogba stood there Begos comes across to him. Pogba sort of shields. Um, I think it's Brownell comes and takes the ball off his toes. I think both of them maybe slightly brush him with their arms. They don't grab him. They don't push him. Pogba stands there and goes like that. Throws his arms up in the air and Dean gives a free kick. Now, if that is the standard for a foul, then Pogba's lucky he's not got booked for slightly touching Eric Pease on, on the head. Do you know what I mean? So, it, that, I, you know, that was, I mean, how he's ever given a free kick for that was ridiculous. You could say the Peters one was soft, but if you set in a standard where if you touch another player, it's a free kick, 
then he's got to disallow that goal. And at least, you know, two bad decisions for me, but at least it's consistent. Uh, and I, I, I don't think they've got much to whinge about refereeing decisions-wise. When you look at what happened in the second half, you know, Rodriguez spins Maguire, he's cleaned through, and he only gets a yellow card for deliberately bringing him down so that it's not a one-on-one. Uh, you know, that to, to me, I don't know how you can justify that position other than saying he's 30, 40 yards from goal, but he's still through one-on-one. So, you know, I think uh, decisions-wise, that would be the worst one of the lot. Um, so, yeah, for me, fair enough. We, we, we were lucky to go in at 1-0, but uh, I don't think it was because of decisions that we were lucky. I think just the, the general uh, the general patterns of play. Yeah, lucky to, lucky to go in 1-0, and 1-0 it was. Um, Adam, I'll come to you now. I'm just, we're just going to look back at this, this first goal for United. I, think, I, don't, I don't think there's anything groundbreaking that we're going to report, report here, but we saw all first half, didn't we, that they were just tearing us apart down that left-hand side. And yet again, Luke Shaw got in behind, pulled the ball back, and it's clear as day a striker, a striker in this case, a midfielder, is going to be there to, to tuck it home. But Adam, do you think maybe Roberts could have done a bit more there to, uh, to, to dissuade the cross? Or do you just think he was outnumbered, it's part and parcel of the game, the blame is actually on someone in the centre of the box, not marking Pogba? I think sometimes you've got to... You've got to say it were, a, it were a decent move, and they they switched the ball really quickly. Um, like a, I think it were Fernandez who um, like played it played it really quickly out wide, um, and and yeah, good good bit of play. Roberts maybe could have done done slightly better, but we've we've considered quite a few goals. Really. It's very difficult when you're running back towards your own goal. There's that space ten to fifteen yards out. Midfielder holds back or striker holds back, and. A uh, really nice finish by by Pogbury. Yeah, probably half the goal to aim for. To be honest, but he finished it really well. Uh, and at the time, they'd only just had that first goal disallowed. Like Tom said, I had no idea why it had been disallowed at the time. Um, and United were well worth that one goal lead. And they were gonna. It felt like every time they went forward, um, the ball were gonna hit the net at that point in the game. So it wasn't wasn't really a surprise. I think we were struggling all all over the pitch. They just worked it well. Um, and took advantage. So yeah, just just to go. Sorry to go back. Uh, what what's your opinion on either of? What's your opinion on um, before he then gets in Rodriguez's way? So what? I don't, I don't know where you really stand on that. Do you retake the free kick or do you just? Is it just offside? Is it up to? Um, it was just a weird. One. I've never really seen it before, and I've only, only looking at it afterwards because yeah, I didn't have a clue what we were going at the time. Yeah, I just wondered. Uh, if I'm honest, I didn't notice. Um, like I say, I thought it was just clumsy Maguire being in the wrong place as usual. Yeah, um, yeah I, I didn't notice a push, to be fair. Um, if, if it was, then we got away with it. But uh, I have watched it back and uh, and it didn't it didn't seem obvious to me. But fair yeah. fair enough if it was. Like I say, they got away with one. So if we did, I'm not, I'm not in the wind. And yeah, I've got to agree as well. It's got to be a red card that for Maguire. He did, he did really, he did similar against Leicester two or three years ago, didn't he? Like the first couple of minutes of a game, uh, JB, JBG pulled back, and that was pretty similar. I think he did actually drag him back, but he was going to be clean through thirty yards away. It's just inconsistencies again. I don't, I don't see how. Yeah, like it's got to be the distance from goal, but it's just infuriating, really. So to play a devil's advocate here, or uh, maybe dick advocate, that's, that's the word I usually say these days. Uh, you know, your old school fans don't know that. <laughs> old school, so it's only, it's only five years ago. But just to play a dick advocate here, 
Um, do you not think maybe with that J-Rod one, they were only just past the halfway line. They're further left wing than, uh, than Jeremy Corbyn. Like, is he really through on goal here? Or, or, I, I don't know. Maybe Red might have been too harsh because he's a long way from goal and he's a, he's a long way on that left wing for me. Tom, I'll throw it to you to, uh, to answer. Uh, well, I can think of a couple uh, of red cards in my time watching Dana where it's been, I remember, it's going way back now, but this is, this is Derby away. Uh, talking about early 2000s. Um, I can't think of it was now he got sent off. Uh, but one of ours, so we, I think we were two or three nil down anyway. But and it was Danny Dissio breaking away on the halfway line for Derby. As if Danny Dissio could have like that sprinted anybody, but he got pulled back on the halfway line. And it was like it was a red card because he's just grabbed him and pulled him, no attempt to play the ball because he knows he's away. Remember that was Uriah Rennie that sent him off. I can't remember it was he got sent off for us, but I was random. It's a red card, and then. Uh, an example more people might remember is uh, Blackburn Ohm. Um, you know, Danny Ings is away in the last minute. He's through. I think he he's. I think he was in her own half. But the Rovers lad just just fouls him because he knows he's through, uh, and he gets a straight red. And, and because you know it's a professional foul, that's the other thing as well. You know, you can get a straight red if you just deliberately foul into someone with no attempt to play the ball. If it's deemed reckless enough. I remember, Reini got a red a few years ago doing the same thing, just went straight through the back of somebody on the halfway line. That wasn't a goal-scoring opportunity, but because it was a professional foul, he got the straight red. And that's all Maguire was doing. He knew Rodriguez had beaten him, as, as so often in that game he got spun. Um, Rodriguez is away. He grabs him because he knows he's through. And he's not attempted to play the ball at all. And yeah, the, the, the distance from goal doesn't matter if you, if you're through one-on-one. For me, it's it's a red card. And it, if, if that was... Uh, Tarkovsky pulling back Ronaldo. I think he's gone. So, yeah, but I suppose for that to be the case, Ronaldo would have to move away from the penalty area and goal hanging. So that's not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, I thought Adam, what what really what really lifted me up at half time. I know I was quite I was quite positive at half time in our group chat. Was just going off the pitch. Obviously, it was one nil, but we're still we you know we're still in sight of United at one nil. And when the players and the manager went down the tunnel. The, the, the reception from the crowd was brilliant, getting behind them. And I think, you know, we should mention this because obviously you said before and you applauded Pace, you know, fair enough for uh, doing the £10 deal and all that for Saturday. You know, brilliant to see a sellout. But then yet again, United was a sellout as well. So, Adam, how good was it to have a really good crowd reception at, at half time on Tuesday when we were in a, you know, a losing position and things looking a bit doom and gloom? But but I didn't I didn't really recognise that as much. I were um I, well, I don't know if I were in my own um just in my own world really. But uh, I didn't re- I didn't notice any any and I'm in the Bob Lord stand, so you don't get much much over there either. Anyway, so I didn't I didn't really notice that. So I don't know if you want to give give a bit more of a summary on on that. But um yeah, it was great great to have the turf full again. I thought United fans were really really good. All the way through, even when it was one apiece, they, they kept on going, um, kept on, yeah, kept backing the team and were really, really loud. Probably the loudest um, I've seen for a while. I think I've seen people say Brentford and Aberdeen, but uh, yeah, I thought they did, they added to the atmosphere and cricket field end for our, um, from our fans and the James Argument made, made a really good noise as well. Um, but yeah, that is great if we can stick behind them. I think we've always been quite realistic as a fan base. Never really give um like we've understood that we're punching above our weight and we've overperformed over a long period of time. Um and, and we've always backed 
back the team. Uh, and I think that must really help the players um, and 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 the manager knowing that you're not going to get the crowd turning on you and that everyone is pointing in the same direction, even though it has been tested quite a lot recently. Yeah, and Adam, I think, you know, the players really did repay that support in the second half. Tom, how different was that team? You know, we're going to go deep into the second half in a few minutes, but just the first the first few few minutes of the second half, it was like a different team, wasn't it? Yeah, I think there was a recognition, you know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, draws are not are not going to be enough come the end of the season. We need to start winning games and winning quickly. And I think, let, let's hope it was a, a sort of a low point and a dear, uh, a turning point, if you will, because that's the most attacking thrust in temp we've seen from the team for a long time. Uh, the most fluid kind of attacking football. It helped Man United only seem to have one half of football in them at a time at the minute. Um, but the the first half we sat off firm, we showed them way too much respect, but pressing was there. Um, you know, that they, they really struggled to put passes together. They they sat up quite high up the pitch uh, and they let us counter-attack them quite a few times, but we took advantage of that, you know. Um, and I, I do think we're better. We really struggle when teams come and sit in like Watford did. We're not good at playing around teams and breaking them down. But uh, if you give us space, you know, any team can hurt you. If, if you can play a couple of decent uh, quick through balls, and that, that is one thing that we are good at. Um, and it was Vegos. Um, you know, Vegos, I, I was just, it was quite interesting um, with Vegos. Like, I think we brought him in because he's six foot six. We're all expecting one type of, of player. And he seems to be completely the opposite. Like, in the Watford game, especially in the first half, like 50 pence said, it's bouncing everywhere. His old up play didn't look great in terms of when it's coming in through his head. Uh, he looked better in the second half when he played a few more balls into his chest and it really paid off. You know, his link-up play was really good. Um, and obviously culminating in, in the turn for the goal, but also the the fantastic shot he had just after that. Um, yeah, uh, something different to what Wood was giving us. You know, obviously Wood's never never been the kind of player who can afford to stray 30, 40 yards away from goal because he's never going to get back. Um, and obviously we knew he played on the line, that's why he's always offside. Um, yeah, so it surprised me a bit there, guys. You know, he's better with his feet than he is with his head. Um, and I, I thought, oh, he doesn't look like a back-to-goal striker in that Watford game, but um, dropping a bit deeper, he looks like a good link-up man. And maybe if we can get him playing the sort of, you know, almost the number 10 role where he is a little bit deeper and he can link the play, you know, get it out wide and then get in the box. Maybe we'll have some success. And if you put someone up with him, Vidra, Barnes, Rodriguez, obviously links up really well with Rodriguez. And I'm sure that'll be the pairing for the next game. Um, it gives you a little bit of hope because it's something different to what we had before, at least. And obviously we have gone like for like in swapping one striker for another, but he does look like a different kind of player. So hopefully that, that second half performance can be the start of a much improved kind of attacking output. Yeah, thanks for that, Tom. And um I'm sure, I'm sure you talked a lot of sense there. It was breaking up on my end because uh, I've got a potato at one end of the room and a potato at the other and it's a piece of string and the Wi-Fi is not quite working too well. So Adam, I'm going to let you wax lyrical now about that goal from J-Rod. Not only, obviously, the goal itself, but the assist from Veghorst, the turn in the centre of the park. I mean, it was, you know, from back to front, liquid football, I'd say. Yeah, um, didn't feel uh, didn't feel like a very uh, Burnley goal, did it? It were. Yeah, it was brilliant. I think he took everyone in the stadium by surprise. It were a big like ooh moment when he turned two two internationals inside out, and then just to look so natural to him, just to play Jay in perfect way to pass, 
Um, you're straight away looking at the linesman. Um, obviously, Luke Shaw's just fallen asleep like he does every now and again and played him played him on side. And Jay does, I think Daesh mentioned it in his post-match comments, did really well to drive across Maguire. Um, I've spoken to some United fans who were really disappointed that he wasn't stronger in that tackle and think that he'd let him go across him. But he just makes it impossible for Maguire not... He's either got to foul him or he's in. And then just to show a calm head, just to dink it past De Gea as well, one of, um, one of the best keepers uh, in the world on, on current form. It were, yeah, brilliant goal. Um, crowd obviously went uh, went absolutely mental. It were it were brilliant to celebrate a goal at the turf again, first one for for a while. And uh, yeah, it were just yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I think a, a lot of the crowd, me included, were in disbelief when it went in. You're thinking a, a goal at, at, <laughs> at home against United and from Gerard. You think, wow, we're in dreamland here, and it could it could have got all so much better, Tom, because. Just a few minutes later, well, Veghorst shot from a uh, must have been twenty-five yards. Wow! And I think Tommy, Tommy, if that if that had gone in, the roof would have come off the place. The, the excitement was that palpable. Yeah, it was really good. I think that's that's the real the real thing to touch on about the second half is it just lifted everybody so much. You know that that Watford game really that's one of the worst games of football I've ever seen. It was. Uh, it was really dire. And when, you know, you've got the excitement of an East sign in, you've sold out the place, 15 minutes of the crowd were going, but there was just nothing on the pitch to show for it. And, and the atmosphere died as a result. The first half, I mean, it's Man United, you know, you make allowances, but again, we were really poor and you're just thinking, you know, where's the next point? Where's the next goal coming from? Um, you know, I can't, I, I missed the Leeds game because I had COVID. So the last time I actually saw a score, a meaningful goal uh, was a, a long time ago. So, uh, we had the high of that Rodriguez finish and, and then like you say when you've got your centre forward hitting 25 yard volleys and and, uh, and bringing a great save out of the keeper suddenly everything felt possible everyone got a lift and I think at the end of the game from that second half performance everyone has had a bit of a lift so let's hope that's something we can take into the next game albeit it's, it's going to be a really difficult game again Adam do you think that's the most important thing coming out of the United game not not necessarily like, you know how we played and individual performances, but is it just the lift that it gives to both the crowd and to the team itself? Yeah, massively. I think um, obviously we've come out of it and we're further away from safety with uh, with Newcastle winning um, four points, is it now? I think. Uh, but to get out of this, we're going to have to we're going to have to start doing things ourselves. We're really going to have to improve our own performances. Uh, and even though we have gone further behind, we've still got those games now, but we, we looked like we've got something about us to to really give it a go uh, going forward. Liverpool's going to be really difficult. I think that uh, anything we get, I know Tom said we need to win, and I'm sure he's not saying we're going to win against Liverpool, but if we got a point from Liverpool somehow, that is a bonus point come the end of the season. I think that Brighton away game is looking massive for us. It's Obviously, Brighton are a really good side. Uh, but we've been down there and won uh, one previously when we've been struggling under under Daesh and they're, they're a different animal at the moment. But I don't th- there weren't much between the teams at Turf. I think we were the better side for 60, 70 minutes and their subs made the difference because we couldn't we didn't have enough to change the game or maintain it for the 90 minutes. But I think Brighton is one we really need to um, go and target. We've got another couple of difficult games as well coming up, but um, yeah, real optimism coming off off turf the other night. It's the best I felt 
definitely since the Brentford game, um, and and just gave gave everyone hope for that boost to to get us kickstarted. The amount of times that we've said the word, I've, I've said turning point, um, getting a bit frustrated with myself. To honest, you're just waiting for something, uh, but hopefully that was it and gives us some sort of um, impetus. And I think you said it on the group the other day, George, momentum. Um, even though if you, if you can have momentum, having not won a game for so long, but some form of momentum going into the really important run of games where we're going to be playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, because uh, you can quickly accumulate points if you can put some performances in. And talking about turning points, I think there's there's two players in particular who are in for quite a bit of flack at the start of the season, well, leading into the Christmas period, really, in Tarkovsky and, and Nick Pope. You know, Pope coming back from injury, maybe not having the same form as he used to at the start of the season, and Tark's a lot and a lot of people question his commitment to the cause. But Tom, they put in outstanding performances on Tuesday night, didn't they? Yeah, I don't think it was a coincidence. You know, Pope got the injury, missed a couple of games or COVID or whatever it was. Uh, he missed Man United and, and Leeds and we can see three in both of those. And then he comes back and we've let one goal in in, in the next three games. Uh, he's, he's a really good keeper. Um, obviously, plays well with the defence. They all know what, what each other's doing. Uh, and it's going to be really important to keep him fit for the rest of the season. Tarkovsky, you know, he's not had the best season. Uh, of course, he's made mistakes, but uh, I think we've we've been sensible enough on here to say, you know, while he might make the open state, like so I always I would say he's not as good with his feet as he thinks he is, but I don't think you could ever question his commitment. You know, the thought of selling him to Newcastle in this window, God, we, we really would be in trouble if we'd done that. He was, he was really good against Arsenal. But he played well against Watford, probably, uh, probably him and Pope, the only two who emerged with any credit from the Watford game. And then, yeah, absolutely, Titanic on uh, on Tuesday night. He's a really good player. He's a best defender. We don't want to be playing him in this field. We don't want to be selling him to Newcastle. Let's enjoy him while we've got him uh, for these last few months. And hopefully it's, uh, it's a base to build on. I've, I've been thinking, you know, there's been a lot of talk about changing the formation, moving it around. The one thing that we have got going for us at the minute is that it's hard to score against this. Um, so I can understand the reluctance from Daesh not to change too much in terms of the formation, perhaps because of that fact. So, uh, you know, if we can build from a basis of, of clean sheets and not conceding many goals, if we can somehow get the attack to click, then that's that's how we'll have a chance. And obviously, Tarkovsky is a big part of that. Mm. Now, yeah, thank, thanks for touching on formation there, Tom, because you've, you've reminded me to, to go over it. So, Adam, there has been a lot of talk recently you know, oh, should we go to, I know Rich is a big uh, fan of the 3-5-2. There's been talk from oh, Tom, Tom before going to a 4-3-3. Adam, where do you stand on the formation? And do you think it's something now that got a bit of momentum? Should should we move to a more attacking formation or should we stick as we are and uh, try and keep things tight? I think um, we're, we're limited on, on what we can do because of what we did in January. Um, if we'd have brought in a couple of more creative players, it might give you more options. Um, but no, Dice has said before about um, not being a fan of three-five-two, um, and by doing that, all you're doing is bringing more players into the middle of the park, and we're struggling there anyway. Um, and we need more threat going forward. And as as good as Robertson Taylor are, I think we are better off sticking to that solid base, like Tom said. Um, and and yeah, I think he summed it up really well. Uh, our best chance of winning games 
is by being as solid as we've been and finding finding that um, that magic moment up top, which we did the other night. Um, a few more of them, please. I, t- I totally agree. Just to put my view out there. I think four four two. It's always served us well. Okay, at times we look a bit a bit. I don't want to use this word word stale, but a bit a bit numb and a bit you know without spark. But I think that can come through the players, and I think our best bet. Is like you say, keeping things tight and nicking the odd game. Because I'm just looking at the table now. All season we've drawn eleven and lost lost eight. Now West Ham are in fourth place and they've lost eight games. Also, difference is they've only drawn four and they've won twelve. You know, it's just as Dice said, and I know people get bored of it, but it's the reality. It's just the tight margins. It's getting a goal here or there because that's exactly what we did when we came seventh. We just we won games by one goal, and that's just what we're missing this season. But before, before we just move away from the United game, Tom, I'll come to you on this. Uh, we've talked about the formation, but the team going forward, I thought what was one of the highlights for me on Tuesday night was that when Barnes came on, which, side note, good seeing back, ran his socks off. He's a good player to come on in that last 10 to uh, come and shield the defence a bit. But but when Barnes came on, it meant that Gerard. I know you're smiling there on the Barnes thing, Tom. I'm a big Barnes fan. Everyone knows this. <laughs> but when J-Rod had to come off, subbed off, uh, the ref forced him to go off on the long side, uh, side of the ground. And I thought it was just brilliant to see him forced into walking, doing a lap of the pitch almost. And it was it was deafening with the crowd singing, singing the uh, he's one of our own chant. I think going forward, Tom, now, do you think J-Rod and, and Val de Veghorst are the, uh, the the partnership up top, or would you like to see Corner back up there? Where where she is going from here? Yeah, I think what we need to do, given a lack of goals, is get as many attacking players into the team as we can. So for me, you put two strikers, you go Vegas and somebody else, and put Corner wide because, like I say, we don't get anything really going forward from Lennon. We don't get anything really going forward from Good Monson. Um, and McNeil's not giving us anything at the minute. So I think for me, it's just a case of, yeah, having Corne, Veghorst and one other really that, that have got goals in them uh, because we don't really have, well, we haven't got any goals in midfield. You know, I don't think any midfield has scored all season, have they? Right, like I say, Brownhill can't shoot. Westwood's never been prolific. Um, Steve, <laughs> Stevens is Stevens. So, um, so yeah, for me, that's that's why I'd be looking at Corne wide, either in a 4-3-3 or a 4-4-2. Um, so yeah, for me, that's 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 what I'd be doing. Rodriguez at the minute has got the shirt and he's earned it. He's scored obviously a hundredth goal, a hundredth career goal. So that was really nice to see for him. Um, and got the reception he deserved. So yeah, for me, that's his shirt at the minute. He's, he's doing okay. He needs to score three or four more, of course. Uh, he needs we need to get a run out of him or Vegas or somebody. But that yeah, I, I, I'd be I'd be tempted to play the same team. At least we know we've got one goal out of that out of that line. Yeah, and that's one more goal than we've got <laughs> in a lot of games this season. Uh, so we've covered the United game there, and I, you know, I think it was just really good to have just positivity around the ground. And I know walking what walking off after the game on Tuesday night, it was just the, the little things like walking through a crowd and the, the buzz is just there again, and there was car horns going. And I'm sure it wasn't because of the traffic; it's because everyone was buzzing. Uh, so you know, it was just good to have some some optimism and some uh, energy around the place again. And I think we can really harness that going forward because the only way we're going to stay up is, you know, all in it together. And it's going to be a, a big ask to stay up. But if they do, it will be one of the most memorable second half of a season that we've had in the Premier League. 
But that being said, we have been hampered, haven't we, in the last week or so by the upturning results for a couple of our relegation rivals. Norwich won two on the bounce, then drew the other night. You know, that's seven points there from their last three. Newcastle, two successive wins on the bounce, and then they had a couple of draws before that. So they're four unbeaten. Adam, are we are we worried now that maybe it's a it's it's not too too late maybe from us, but maybe it's too little in that these teams are really turning up now. And with Dean Smith in charge at Norwich, they've turned a corner and Newcastle have basically bought a new a half a new first team. I think um yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be really difficult. Um but when you do look at the table, that gives you hope really with with those games in hand. We're not cut adrift by any means. Uh, we're not out of it. It's like I said before, it's on us. Um, we've shown some positive signs now. We just need to go. We have to go and find some wins. Because, yeah, if we go if we go another, like, if not one in January, um, if we don't win by the end of February, I think that's, well, that's curtains. Uh, you've got to start winning games. Um, so, it's it, if we go down, it's because we haven't been good enough and because we haven't invested in the squad over a long period of time. There's a chat with Burnley. Every year you go into it, there's a chance that you're going to be in and around the fight. I think no one ever thought it were going to last forever, but you want it to last as long as possible. It's been a brilliant journey so far, and you just want it uh, long may it continue. So we have got a lot of fight. We've shown it before. Uh, we've really got to show it again. This is, even though people show the table that year that... Um, we had 12 points at the halfway stage and we had 13 this time and we ended up with 40. Um, but there are a lot of reasons behind behind being able to turn that round. We had Heaton to come in uh, or came in, made a big difference. McNeil came in and we're just a breath of fresh air. We had Europe pampering us at the start of that season. This is a bigger challenge than that was. Uh, but to be honest, I thought we were doomed at that point as well. So we're going to all pull in the same direction, which I think everyone is doing. Um, stick behind the team, stick behind the manager, stick behind the owners, and um, and see where we go. It certainly is one of the biggest challenges. In fact, the, the biggest challenge we've had uh, in our in our Premier League time, I'd say, apart from obviously the season that we went down with uh, Stephen Reid and Lukas Jukovic in the, in the first team. That was a yeah, that that really was fighting against the odds. Um, but Tom, we know you know. After the Watford game, I think you'd you'd written us off. You know, you're saying we're, maybe we're down. Do you still think that? You know, being honest, do you think the time has come now, or has the United game pumped a little a little bit of optimism into you? Well, you're being generous there because I wrote us off after the Newcastle game. <laughs> I've said on here before. You know, for me, we had to win that one because we needed a gap between us and Newcastle before the window because they were always going to do what they've done and, and strengthen a lot. Um, we've not had that gap, partly obviously because we didn't play the games and we have got them games in there now, like you say, but you can see, uh, you know, I said on here a few weeks ago, well, the only thing we had going for us was that there was four rubbish teams and, and we could try and be the least worst. Now it looks like there's probably three rubbish teams because Newcastle have improved so much, they've added quality uh, and they're winning games and that's something that we can't do, it seems. You know, um, that, you know, I said I thought we were down after the Newcastle game because uh, I thought they were going to strengthen and, and, and leave us for dead. I haven't seen anything yet that's, that's changed my mind. The Like Adam said, we had some big changes in the team after that Everton 5-1 boxing day a couple of years ago. 
Keaton came in, who was always about Keaton and Hart. And McNeil came in and, and really changed the dynamic. This year, we haven't made the changes that we needed to. We've got Veghorst, who's, who, you know, early days yet, but he looks like he might improve his, uh, improves a bit compared to Ward. He's got a bit of a different dimension to him. Is that going to be enough compared to the amount that Newcastle has strengthened? Not for me. Um, if, we, if we're serious about staying up, uh, I know Adam said earlier he wouldn't expect us to beat Liverpool. We are going to have to beat somebody like that because we've got so many chances to go. We, we've got two points out of Norwich, Watford and Newcastle this season. It's not good enough. So them seven points that have gone there, we're going to need to make them up from somebody. We're going to need to beat a, a big team. We're going, to need, we're going to need some kind of result that really injects that belief into the team. And I know the draw against United is a good one in isolation. The performance is good, but it's not a win. Uh, we need wins. At the minute, we don't look good enough to, to win games consistently. We haven't addressed the issues that we had in the squad in January. Um, so, I, you know, I just can't see where how we're going to suddenly win seven, eight games in the second half of the season where we've won one in the first half. Uh, so, for me, it's free this now. <laughs> I will say, I'm not, uh, you know, I've got tickets for Brighton. I've got tickets for Palace. I'm going to go into the, the stadium. I'm going to support the team. Uh, I'm not going to... Uh, lead this negativity into the into the ground but uh yeah looking at it dispassionately you know if you're a fan of any other team uh you you know you say Burnley have got absolutely no chance and uh and unfortunately that's how I feel as well yeah so so I think it's very clear from that that we've got our challenge to the listeners is when Tom goes to these games we want to see a video of Tom saying that we're going to stay up. That's that's all we want from you listeners is to track down Tom. He's got a cracking, cracking beard. Uh, so, you know, he'd be really easy to spot. Just get a video of him saying that we're going to st- stop up. That's, that's the challenge for this week. Adam, I'm going to throw to you for one last question for yourself. Tom was talking about teams not being able to win there. And I'm looking at the table. I'm looking at the form guide. Everton lost four on the bounce and Brentford have lost five on the bounce. Are they the teams... If Newcastle are getting away from us, are they the teams that we can catch and send spiralling down to the championship? Uh, well, yeah, they've got to be. We've got to um, try and pull in as many teams as you can. Because, um, yeah, the positions in, in the... T- when it is three from four, it's a lot more difficult than three from six. Um, obviously, lamp- like the, appointments, the appointment of Hodgson at Watford, you can see the sense in that. Uh, and it should improve them. I, I don't think they'll be good enough to, to stay up. I think at the moment, if you're calling it, you're probably calling us Watford and Norwich. But Lampard in there just gives a bit of a... Like, still, he's not had this situation before. He's been um, at the top end of the tail, wherever he's been, he's been backed with money in a squad in a, the league that he's been in, wherever he's been. So, who knows? Um You'd probably say Brentford over Everton, but yeah, they've been dire so far and we've still got Everton at home to play. Um, so you, you beat them teams and drag them close to you, but um, yeah, it all starts with us. Get Start worrying about that when we've, uh, when we've got a couple of wins under our belt. Yeah, well, I, I do I do think a win's coming for us and I think, I think Tuesday night was a big step in the right direction. I mean, just coming off the game, I just thought, you know what, you know, we might go down, we might do, you know, it's a real possibility, but Tuesday night was one of the best nights that we've had at Turf in a long, long time. I'd say it was, I know it wasn't a win, but I'd just say the feeling 
and the momentum coming off it was a lot more than even the Brentford game itself, um, just because we have been bad and it really was a turning point that second half. I think Rodriguez and Veghorst paired up. It was it was like watching Vings in action at, at, at times. Um, you know, the way they just linked up, passed it to each other. And Veghorst isn't, isn't the guy that many people thought he was. He's not this big, big lump to put up front and win headers and, uh, and hold the ball up. That's not his style, because I tell you what's his style, his feet. His feet are absolute magic. You saw the way he turned Harry Maguire and I think it was McTominay. Oh, he made them look like absolute fools. And then not even, not just that he turned them and, and found his way to the edge of the box, his pass into Rodriguez. It was like Kevin De Bruyne at his best. And it wasn't the only time he did it. He took on four dribbles throughout the game. And guess what? He won all four dribbles. Val Veghorst is an absolute magician. And we are lucky to see him. And I'll tell you what, he's twice the player that Wood ever, ever was. And not only Veghorst, but the whole, the whole place was lifted after that game. So I'm very enthusiastic. I can see Tom smiling. We're going to get him say, saying that we're going to stay up. Adam already believes. I know Adam will believe. Um, so listeners, you know, get to the games, keep on sporting and get Tom to say it. We are staying up. Before we enter tonight, I'm going to let you into a little bit of a secret. Uh, so, you know, don't be spreading this everywhere, but we're going to have a big revamp. Um, you, you know, the podcast has always been linked to the Claret's Trust uh, over the years. And we've had good friendships between the two. Uh, the two. And I'm going to tell you, the Claret's Trust are having a big revamp soon. So keep an eye out for that. And if any of you are interested in some volunteer work or, you know, um, some family members or friends who are interested in uh, getting some experience of going to an office like business meeting and taking notes and doing secretarial work. Get in touch with me on Twitter at George Puddle because we could do with a secretary to, to help out. And I think it'd be really good work experience. I did that before going off to uni and it really helps. So just keep that in mind. And I think, you know, we can leave this podcast on a really positive note this week. So thanks again, Adam and Tom, for sitting there and putting up for me and my rubbish internet tonight. Uh, it's not the first time, it won't be the last. Uh, I found out I was hosting only about five minutes before we went on air. So I think it's gone okay. So thanks again, Adam, and thanks, Tom. And I'm going to hand you listeners over to Natalie, who's definitely going to remember the name of George Gaskell for providing our brilliant music. So thanks, listeners, and we'll see you next time. And it's no And that is all I think we've got time for. Listeners, I am recording this outro in advance of the boys recording. So I have no idea what just came before us with a little bit of luck that was informative and exciting and just the right amount of chaos from what you all come to know and love from the Known and Ever podcast. My thanks as ever go to everybody who has contributed to making these episodes. Um, to, of course, George, Tom and Adam for giving up their spare time tonight and going through that analysis. Um, to our musicians who continue to um, give our intro and outro music royalty free, which is very much appreciated and whose details uh, producer Matt will link in our socials. Um, and to producer Matt himself, who has had a very busy week this week, putting everybody together and recording and editing two podcasts. Finally, to you, the listener, for downloading and listening to this episode. Your support is much appreciated and we would not be here without you. Um, I just mentioned on the analysis show um, last week and the preview show this week, our numbers at the moment are 
one of the highest we've had for a very, very long time. And we continue to be very honoured that you would give up your spare time to listen to our little podcast. Um, we will all be back next week. There will be an analysis show looking back uh, on that Liverpool game. And producer Matt and Dave will be back next Friday um, for a bumper edition of the preview show. And with that, I'm going on holiday. So I will see you listeners in a week's time. In the meantime, take care of yourselves and take care of others. This has been the None and Ever podcast. Until next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.